Welcome to Divine Enigma, a podcast that talks about how to navigate through the complexities of the workplace as a modern day professional while simultaneously having a side hustle. We appreciate all of our audience members for taking some time out of their day to tune into another episode and look forward to providing you all with some value to our show today. My name is Sarah and I will be your host for this podcast. This podcast will be available on all platforms where you can find podcasts, including Spotify, Amazon, and Apple Podcasts. Let's get started. So Richard, welcome to Divine Enigma. Um, thank you so much for coming onto the show today. Um, and you come um, from an organization called Neurodiversity Celebration Week. So yeah, could you introduce yourself to the listeners um, and kind of explain to the audience what Neurodiversity Celebration Week is? Fab. Thanks very much for having me on, Sarah. Yeah. Um, so uh, my name is Richard Peachy. I'm the um, NCW our acronym for Neurodiversity Celebration Week coordinator. So my day-to-day role is um, organising events, uh, speaking to speakers and chairs and making sure that everyone gets their Zoom links on time, uh, updating the website and making it look fab um, and all of that. Working with um, a couple of folk from Lexic who are um, NTW's partner and have been since last year. Um, and our campaign director, Aidan Healy, is also the chair of Lexic. Um, and Lexic is um, one of the UK's prominent um, neurodiversity um, organisations supporting employers and employees um, and now in the education sector um, with all kinds of good stuff when it comes to creating neuroinclusive places of work and education. Um, so very quickly about Neurodiversity Celebration Week, um, founded five years ago uh, by Sienna when she was 16. Um, so yeah, back in 2018, um, she um, is neurodivergent herself um, and wanted to start a social movement to really celebrate the strengths of neurodifferences um, and change the narrative away from the medical model of deficiencies. Um, and that's quite hard when you've got neurodivergent folk like me, like you, um, <laughs> who, who's, who, who's, whose conditions, oh, here we go, <laughs> conditions actually have the word disorder mm-hmm. <laughs> within them. Yeah. Um, or, or if those uh, neurodifferences um, and traits um, include, you know, dis at the beginning of them, mm-hmm. uh, dysgraphia, dyscalculia dyslexia etc so um yeah there's an ongoing debate about the language of neurodiversity um aiden our campaign director is hosting a webinar on monday um called the language of neurodiversity it's an hour and a bit long um looking at well what's the difference between neurodiversity neurodiverse neurodivergent um yeah who what when why you should use these words over those or actually is it more important to listen to the people that you're speaking to um and use the words that they're more comfortable with identifying with themselves um so the term neurodiversity was coined by uh, judy singer uh, a sociologist to basically give a term for um 
the natural differences that we have in how our brains work. So you've got biodiversity. Um, you know, it's quite nice to have birds and bees and bugs and sharks. Um, (laughs) and, and, you know, there's biodiversity within the human race. Um, you know, aboriginals in, um, you know, the South Asian continents, um, all the way through what European people look like. You know, there's lots and lots and lots of differences. Um, and actually we're as unique in our heads as we are on the outside. Mm-hmm. Um, so neurodiversity, uh, coined by Judy Singer is really to describe that there is a lot of difference out there. Um, <clears throat> and then we get into, um, neurodivergent, um, meaning those who are different. Um, and a lot of people aren't necessarily content with the word divergent. Um, and a lot of neurodivergent folk call themselves neurodiverse. Um, I call myself neurodiverse. Um, so it's not necessarily about having the right and wrong language, um, but more, um, being inclusive in that language to support the people who want to talk about what they're talking about. Um, and, um, get support in that space. Um, so yeah, the campaign's five years old. Um, this year we've grown quite considerably. Um, this week we've um, exceeded 10,000 total pledges. Wow. Um, we'll probably be at 11 by the time this recording goes out. <laughs> um, and, you know, last year we were at about 6,000. So we've doubled the size of the campaign in a year. Um, in its fifth year. Um, about half of those um, pledges come from um, educational institutions. So primary schools, secondary schools, uh, sixth form colleges, high schools, um, and high, higher education institutions. Um, and just under half are um, organizations and about 10% are nonprofits. Um, and with a lot of those nonprofits also being in our space. Um, so the likes of um, ADHD Foundation, ADHD UK, um, Orticon, um, National Autistic Society. There's a big old list of, um, you know, community interest companies and nonprofits, um, in the neurodivergent, neurodiversity, neuroinclusion space. Um, so yeah, in three minutes or less, um, that is a very quick introduction to the work that I'm doing with NCW and what NCW is. So why is, it, why is it important to celebrate in NCW or Neurodiversity Celebration Week? Why do you think it's important for people to really um, take time to celebrate being neurodivergent or neurodiverse? <laughs> um, so a colleague of mine recently described it as pride. Why, why have a, a march for those people who are different? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, because estimates, scientific research, um, puts neurodivergency at fifteen to twenty percent of the population. So, you know, I've got four kids. So, with six of us in the household, it's likely that at least one of us is neurodivergent. Yeah. Also, hereditary says most likely that we've got more than one of us in the family who are neurodivergent. <laughs> um, so uh, w- when you look at the disparity that neurodifferences can have on the populace, um, it's important to try and 
do something about that. So only 15% of people with autism are in full-time employment. Right. Um, Until last year's census, there were about as many neurodivergent folk as there were non-white folk in England. Um, But, you know, Black Lives Matter is a big thing. Yeah. Um, You know, pride is a big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of that is about changing the narrative, changing systemic challenges uh, put on those people who are different. Um, and sometimes that's hard when you look like you should fit in. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, neurodiversity in law and neurodiverse sport um, have done a lot of work in the last couple of months in establishing themselves. They're doing some events on their own back for neurodiversity celebration week focusing on their um specific niches um but there are lots and lots and lots of really intelligent gifted people um who are also neurodivergent um mm-hmm. yeah in, in the us they call it um twice exceptional um that you're gifted that. <laughs> you're gifted <laughs> and neurodivergent um so uh, and there's lots and lots and lots of famous people who are neurodivergent. Um, and the challenge is that the the way that the world works, um, sadly, lots and lots of people who are neurodivergent don't keep full-time jobs. Um, and that's because we wind people up. That's because we're off doing our own things. That's because we stick too rigidly to the rules mm-hmm. or we have pathological demand avoidance and do anything but what we're told um so that's why you'll find that lots and lots of uh, neurodivergent famous people run their own companies invent mm-hmm. things um you know einstein elon musk richard branson um they're all you know james dyson mm-hmm. um the guy who um designed the sydney opera house the founder of ikea <laughs> um you know the the, the, the list is long yeah. Uh, and and with that also comes a lot of creativity. You know, there are lots and lots of um artists and musicians who are neurodivergent. So w- why is it important? Uh, th- th- there's a number of facets there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and you know, my my career has been workplace corporate stuff. Um and NCW is holistic, you know. We focus quite heavily on education because I think that's where you can do a lot of good or reverse mm-hmm. lots of harm. Um, but, you know, we've got a panel next week on neurodiversity in the justice system yeah. uh, with the chair of the National Police Association for Autism um, and a whole host of other people um, because there is some research out of America I don't know how much research there is in the UK um, about um, neurodivergent prisoners. And actually the likelihood that you are neurodivergent and in prison Mm -hmm. um, was something like double the the native populace. So like 30% of prisoners are neurodivergent compared to 15% of the normal population. Do you think that's quite typical? Do you think that's something that was, that it's normal? Is there, well, so so I, I I think there's a question about standards mm-hmm. um and how we redress behavior. Mm-hmm. Um you know, 
if you're more likely to be impulsive in your behavior, um, then you might end up doing something naughty. Um, if you um, have childhood trauma, you're more likely to be a criminal. Mm. Uh, and um, Gabo Mate and, and his interview with Prince Harry this week um, talked um, some more about his book, Scattered Minds, and the link between childhood trauma and um, how he sees it linking in with ADHD. Yeah. Um, and you know, if you are if you have dyscalculia and um, dyslexia, you're not gonna you know, you're really gonna struggle in the education system. Yeah. If you fall out of the education system, then what are you going to end up doing? Um, you're either going to sit at home on benefits, or you're going to go do something naughty. Yeah. So um, yeah, I, I think there is a lot of correlation. Well, there's definite correlation between neurodivergence and criminal justice. Um, but I think there's de- some um, undefined causational links. Um, yeah, that, 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 that's a, a whole big mess. And then we get into the conversation of employment. Um, so yeah. 80, 85% of autistic people don't have full-time paid jobs. Now, lots of them have part-time work or volunteer work. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that's a huge percentage of the population. So um, the current stats um, has um, autism at about 2%. So it's not the most common um, neurodivergent condition, but it's seen as one of the most debilitating, depending on the level of support that you need. Yeah. Um, and could be you know, 700,000 or a million people. Okay, well, 85% of a million people is 85, uh, 850,000 people. Um, this time last year, our unemployment, um, no, the number of jobs advertised was 700,000. Mm. Uh, okay, so so if you gave all of those autistic people out of work a job, <laughs> mm. it would fill all of the vacancies that we have in the UK. Yeah. Um, so... And that, that's without the um, the tax burden or the benefits burden of um, financially supporting people who are out of work. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a whole conversation about getting the most out of your people in work. Um, so there's lots and lots of conversation about creative, uh, creating neuro-inclusive workplace cultures, yeah. psychologically safe workplace cultures. And if you look after your people, they'll look after your customers then the bottom line will be looked after. You know, that was Richard Branson's whole uh, message with um, the Virgin Group. He said, yeah, I don't care about customer services. I care about my people because my people will care about my customers. Um, and you know, Virgin are now really, really progressive. You know, they, they've got a uh, one-size-fits-all uniform policy. Um, you know, they were one of the first organizations to trial um, unlimited holiday. Um, you take as much holidays you see fit, yeah. um, and very quickly you get rid of those people who take the Mickey, um, <laughs> <laughs> because yeah, there's a whole conversation there. Um, and again, it's quite funny that that organisation is um, was set up and run for a very long time by a neurodivergent entrepreneur. Um, so um, during NCW 
there's two panels on neurodiversity in the workplace. So one of them is the benefits of neurodiversity in the workplace. Uh, JP Morgan Chase um, brought out some research to say that um, they basically they did a recruitment drive for neurodivergent individuals. I think they focused on autism. Um, and they found that those neurodivergent employees were 42% more effective at their job in the first two years of hire. Oh, wow. Than, than a, a normal graduate. Now, is that because neurodivergent people are overcompensating because they've finally been given the opportunity? Yeah. <laughs> um, or, or, or is that because um, we're neurologically ex- uh, exceptional and we're actually pretty good at doing work? Um, so there's a whole host of other um, benefits of rather than just putting neurodivergent people to work, um, you know, diversity of thought, creativity, innovation, um, all of that jazz. Um, and the the second panel is called creating a neuroinclusive culture. So um, it's not only about giving opportunities for folk to come in and do good work, um, but how do you foster an environment where people can be their best selves? Um, and almost getting to the social model of disability where we're asking what do you need to be at your best rather than saying what's wrong with you and what could we do to fill the hole? So, you know, when somebody says, actually, I really benefit from having a second screen, I really benefit from noise cancelling headphones, I really benefit from post-it notes, um, then you're supporting an individual on an individual basis to get the best from them rather than um, you know the factory press of, well, the IT department only ever issue 20-inch screens. That's all you get. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and that ties into a, um, a session where we've got on, I think it's Friday, Thursday or Friday, um, on um, assistive tech, so inclusive design and assistive tech, um, where we've got, London Heathrow, um, the BBC, uh, Microsoft, um, and a couple of other organizations speaking um, about the work that they're doing to be inclusive, predominantly from a tech perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we inc- we expanded it to inclusive design um, because there was an outside chance that we could have had somebody from the built environment coming in to talk about stuff because it's not just about read aloud functions in microsoft <laughs> or you know t- ch- changing your um, screen to gray not white or yeah. looking after your contrast um but it's also um you know, standing desks um natural light sources um a whole heap of other stuff from the built world that helps um neurodivergent individuals rather than just the text uh, j- j- just the tech I have a question, actually. So my show is about people trying to navigate the complexity of being neurodiverse in the corporate world. Um, And for somebody who's trying to get a job or wants to work in an office or whatever that, however that looks like for them, how can they talk to an employer to say, oh, by the way, I have dyslexia? Oh, by the way, you know, I have ADHD or, you know, 
you know, when I have too many things on my desk or I need a quiet space to work, but maybe that employer may not be so accommodating and they'll do it because I guess legally they have to, but you always feel this sense that you're almost a burden at work. You feel like the employer is not truly being supportive. They're presenting acts of support, but they're not being truly supportive because it's almost like you're a burden to them in, in, for them having to make those adjustments for you at work. How can you advise someone if they're in that particular situation where they don't feel supported at work? Um, maybe they're a graduate. It, it depends on what situation or they go for a career change and they just, they want to improve on their career prospects, but other aspects like being afraid to tell people you have a neurodiverse condition, maybe for many years you've had to mask the fact you have this neurodiverse condition what would you say to that person? Because I think there's a lot of listeners out there who listen to this show um, and they listen because it's like a safe place for them to listen to other people that have neurodiverse conditions, but maybe outside in the real world, they, they're trying to navigate it. They're trying to manage that somehow. Um, what what can you say to those people? Um it's a fantastic question, Sarah. Yeah. Um, the challenge is that I wear many hats and I need to be careful about which hat I'm wearing when I'm answering the question. Okay. Um, so on behalf of Neurodiversity Celebration Week, um, NCW is an advocacy campaign. Um, mm-hmm. It's about trying to support individuals and organisations to develop neuroinclusion. Mm-hmm. Um so I'm not going to tell you what to do because I'm advocating for your right to do it. Yeah. Um, now, with my other hat on, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I, I'm a ND coach in my outside of work time. Um, and uh, there's a whole other conversation there with my other hat on mm-hmm. about the stigma of neurodivergence. and the different stigma depending on the diagnosis and how you talk about the diagnosis. Mm -hmm. It's really commonplace to have people talking about dyslexia. Yeah. It's, it's quite well understood. Um, and it's not necessarily seen as a big burden. Um, Mm. Oh, sorry about that. I'm a bit dyslexic. Okay. Well, we can get into whether or not that's ableist language or not in a minute. Um, yeah, but, um, you know, dyslexia or moderate learning difficulties, which it's often slapped together with as part of um, special educational needs stuff, um, is actually quite common. Um, you know, dyscalculia, dyslexia are, are, are two of the most common neurodivergent conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're also tend to be some of the least severe. Um, you know, reading p's q's nines and g's <laughs> synonymously can be a challenge um but in today's tech world where you have spell checkers and grammarly um it, it's it's less of a problem mm-hmm. um so when somebody says okay well i have 17 post-it notes and three to-do lists yeah i'm dyslexic and it helps me keep organized then then that normally rolls like water off of a duck's back when you're having that conversation with your manager. Hey, can you proofread this for me? I'm dyslexic. I've done my best. Yeah. They probably, they probably wouldn't bat an eyelid. Um, but some of them, those neuro, 
differences um, have a different stigma attached to the label. Um, so autism, for example, mm -hmm. there's lots of different language out there about um, high functioning versus high support versus low support versus mm -hmm. it, it, neurodiversity is um, not a grayscale. It, it doesn't go between black and white. No. Uh, it's more like a grayscale on a clock where every minute of the clock is a different trait. So you can go from the bullseye of the center of the clock all the way out to the end of the hand. <laughs> and that can vary depending on impulsiveness, emotional regulation, yeah, all the yeah. way around that list. So you can have highly gifted, highly intelligent, genius people yeah. um, who have a number of traits that would diagnose them as autistic. But in our minds, through media, through lived experience, when somebody says autism or, or an autistic individual, we automatically defer to those people in life that are doing the menial jobs because they're not smart enough to do a better job. But but we don't think of the Greta Thunbergs, the Elon Musks of the world, who Albert Einstein, um, who have done massively wonderful things mm. whilst also um, sharing those traits. Um, and then, you know, until recently, until the TikTok trend of ADHD, if somebody said that, you know, if somebody was talking about ADHD, you would picture a 12-year-old boy acting like a three-year-old. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the world's definition of ADHD. Now, luckily, because of the advancements in... Um, assessments for women and understanding that it presents itself very differently in women. Mm -hmm. um, I think that stigma is starting to change um, mm -hmm. or, or, or the stigma lands differently depending on your sex. Um, so you know, Ellie Middleton were, um, was diagnosed or, or, um, with ADHD mm -hmm. uh, and then went on to do a further diagnosis um, and was diagnosed autistic. Um, she's doing a lot of really good advocacy work um, and creating content in the neurodiversity space um, and doesn't necessarily receive the same level of stigma that um, Alex Partridge does and Alex founded you know Lad Bible so you know on, on, on two ends of the same scale you've got neurodivergent people doing good work yeah. um, but one of them's a man and one of them's a woman and I, I, it it feels that they're being perceived differently um why do you that, think that is why do you think that is well again without my ncw hat on yeah, yeah. This, is, this is really challenging me now yeah 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 um, <laughs> The presentation of a lot of these traits, autism and ADHD, mm -hmm. uh, in women tend to be um, aggressive is the wrong word. Um, less hard hitting. Yeah. You know, when a woman makes an impulsive decision, 
you know, she's gone and eaten that chocolate bar that she really shouldn't have, or she's gone and bought that thing on Amazon that really she really shouldn't have, or she went for a drive and got lost because she wasn't listening to her sat nav, or she was li- listening too literally to her sat nav. <laughs> well, you know, a, a man is more likely to have a serious accident, and that's well known that you know men have serious accidents at a rate six times that of women mm-hmm. well that's because women tend to have smaller accidents men if they're going to crash they're going to crash um you know a, a lot of the impulsive behavior that men have tend to be more out there um than some more of the dangerous impulsive. yeah um yeah and, and then inattention in, in you know, um, it, it, you know, ADHD in girls in their youth, inattention is daydreaming. Yeah. Now, inattention in boys, it probably means that you're fiddling with something. It probably means that you're doing something you shouldn't be doing because you're bored of the thing that you should be doing. <laughs> uh, like rolling a post-it note in your hand because uh, <laughs> fidgeting and stimming is like needed to keep my brain on task. <laughs> um, so you know, I, yeah. At, at the age of is it thirty two, mm-hmm. I was told off because um, I'd stuck blue tack to the roof of my office, like <laughs> at work in in my workplace. Somebody came in and I was like, "What are those two grey balls up there on the ceiling?" I was like, "It's blue tack," and they were like, "How did it get there?" So I got some blue tack and I heated it up and then and then blue tack comes really sticky when it gets hot mm-hmm. and then you just flick it and, and it sticks to the roof and if you <laughs> do it hard enough it doesn't come down um but um it's quite a nice um little trick if you do it and then it drops because it can be like five minutes before it drops mm. um and when somebody's not expecting something to land on them from the ceiling um <laughs> yeah, i got told off for that so like i said um i I, I think because the traits are different, mm-hmm. um, they're not they're not fundamentally different, but they present themselves in a way that is different enough to be able to change that perception. Right, um, it, it is my sense. Um, but you know, for, forever, boys have been diagnosed with ADHD twice as often, in some mm-hmm. cases, as girls. Um, now, is that because it's more likely in boys, or is it because we under assessed? and underdiagnosed girls um yeah uh, i think uh, it's uh, underassessed uh, i think yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I i i i agree um <laughs> you know that there, there's a, a lot to be said about the sweeping gen- uh, generalizations that we have of life well normally they're informed by fact and sometimes those facts aren't as truthful as they could be because they're not as broad as they could be. Mm. Um, so actually, if we had assessment criteria that was specific by sex and we tested girls as often as we tested boys, then we'd probably have a more even diagnosis rate. Yeah. Um, you know, w- one of my old friends uh, was diagnosed ADHD before me um, and, and helped me get my diagnosis. Um, and her um, her current ethos is that um, ADHD traits is like the woman's psyche. So everything about ADHD mm-hmm. is a little bit chaotic, 
Okay. And, and women are a little bit chaotic. <laughs> her words, not mine. But 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 uh, and then and then in her mind, um, autism is more of a male trait because mm. it's about orderliness. It's about control. It's about. So um, I'm yet to explore that further with her, but that was a very interesting <laughs> conversation. Um, you know, talking about um, yeah, daydreaming and impulsive behaviours. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Um, as um, an employer, how can you take part in Neurodiversity Celebration Week? How can you um, ensure that you're adding this to what you do as an employer? If it's something you are not already doing, I think you should be doing it. But yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so um, f- four really quick, easy steps. Mm-hmm. And if you forget them, they're on the homepage of the website. So the first is pledge your support. And you can do this as an individual. You can do this on behalf of an employer. Um, you can do this on behalf of your scout group, guide group, bowls club, football association. <laughs> so on the homepage, scroll down, there's a form. Or in the top right, there's a big button that says sign up. And that mm-hmm. basically says to our system that this person from this organization or individual, if you click that in the dropdown, um, wants to participate in and support the ethos of celebrating neurodiversity. Um, That, in essence, puts you on our mailing list, and then I send you some emails. So (laughs) the first email that you're going to get is, hey, thanks very much for pledging. Here's uh, our social pack. So we've got a nice little interactive brochure that has... Um, this Zoom background on um, that ah. you can't see because this is audio. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, Instagram, Twitter, um, images saying, you know, I'm supporting or insert your logo here is supporting. Um, Facebook banners, all kinds of other fun stuff within the social pack um, and our hashtags. So if you um, at mention us on linkedin instagram or twitter we mm-hmm. will like comment and reshare what you've tagged us in so please make it appropriate um because i'm the one who has to go and manually <laughs> i'll like definitely i'll definitely it. tag you on my instagram i've just That's... started an instagram so I'll, I'll the divine enigma podcast will tag neurodiversity celebration week fab yeah. um, so, <laughs> um that that moves into number two is share your involvement so um yeah, that could be as much as, hey, I've pledged and now I've shared on social media that this thing's happening next week. That's me. I'm done. Or you might say, oh, but I could give more. So then we have um, a, a divergence in the force. Um, either um, join our events. Um, we're putting on 24 live online events on Zoom starting at half past nine. It might be nine o'clock. I think it's half past nine. Okay. Monday morning. Um, with why it's important to celebrate neurodiversity. <laughs> um, which will be an hour-long version of the 20 minutes I've just given you. Um, which is a short discussion between um the panel chairs talking about why they're passionate about the panel that they're chairing. Um, so very quickly, those panels are um two on the workplace which we've already discussed so the benefits of and developing a neuroinclusive culture then we've got um 
three in education. So we've got uh, neurodiversity in um, further and higher education, creating a neuroinclusive classroom and supporting neurodivergent learners. So it doesn't matter if you're a nursery nurse or a tenured professor, those three um, might be helpful and useful to you to see how you can get the best out of folk. Um, and you know, if you're in organizational development or, organ or or learning and development and HR, then you might want to understand how supporting neurodivergent learners might benefit you and your organization. Um, then we've got a couple on intersectionality. Um, so one of them is called um, Class, Culture and Community, um, which is That's chaired by um, Atif Chowdhury from um, Diversity and Ability. Um, fundamentally looking at um, how uh, the challenges of neurodiversity and those other things, so caste and class, um, race, um, sexual orientation. Yeah. And then the other panel is uh, we don't all fit in one box. Um, Co-occurring conditions is the norm when it comes to neurodiversity. If you have one neurodivergent condition, you've likely got more than one. Um, and that might be ADHD and dyslexia. It might be dyslexia and dyscalculia. It might be, pick your list. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. It's like a pick and mix at Woolworths. Yeah. But I have, some of I your, have some ADHD, of your listening. I have ADHD and dyslexia. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so so, so my, 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 my list is about um as long as my arm um, <laughs> well it, the the thing with the definition of neurodiversity being the fact that lots of things can be different mm -hmm. um some people include um trauma mental um health mm -hmm. as part of the neurodiversity paradigm yeah uh, so when you look at rejection sensitivity dysphoria is that its own acronym or is that linked to trauma slash adhd slash something else can you have pathological demand avoidance without having autism and this whole conversation um and then we've got um a panel on neurodiversity and justice uh we've already talked about um inclusive design and assistive tech um oh the third intersectional panel is experiences of women and girls oh so, yes <laughs> um, being so, so so that's chaired by uh sam hugh from adhd girls oh. um and we're really proud to have elizabeth bonker the nonverbal autistic lady from america coming on the panel too um so yeah she's over in the uk next week for the neurodiversity and business conference which is on thursday um and um yeah the women's and girls panel is on the friday um so yeah lots and lots of really interesting stuff in that mix and then we've got good practice for professionals so helping coaches like me and mm -hmm. gps and special educational needs advisors and coordinators and teaching assistants um understand what good looks like um so that's our last panel on friday afternoon um and then we've we're running nine intro yeah, in, introductions to neurodiversity across the week so basically one a day 
and then two a day on Saturday and Sunday. Um, so that's our 24 events in a nutshell. Um, oh, and we've got two panels on parents <laughs> and carers. It's really hard to remember 24 events. Um, so, so Tuesday night, half past six till eight, um, chaired by uh, Professor Amanda Kirby, um, is our first parents and carers panel. Um, and the following morning, so Wednesday morning, uh, hosted by Theo Smith, um, will be our second um, parents and carers panel. We've got speakers from Hong Kong all the way across Europe to the US. Um, and although the 24 events are GMT time zone based because I live in the UK, <laughs> um, you know, we do have speakers, you know, going to bed very late or waking up very early to participate. Um, so it is a global initiative. Uh, we hope in concurrent years, um, we can be more inclusive on time zones. Um, but it's trying to find the right resource in the right time zone to be able to put on those types of events. And you know, the community's growing, but it isn't massive. Mm. So you know, our our eleven, twelve panel chairs um, are from across Europe and North America. Um, you know that there aren't hundreds and hundreds of experts in this field. Um, so trying to get thirty um, yeah, might be a bit more of a challenge. Um, so yeah. Um, I think that's it in a nutshell. Um, my final question for you is, um, could you tell me at least three positive characteristics or traits you find in neurodiverse people? You come across a lot of neurodiverse people in your in your area of work. Um, and I think it would be good in ending the show on a, in a positive um, on the three positive traits that neurodivergents tend to have that you have witnessed yourself because you're a neurodivergent coach so you must see that quite quite often so um the the biggest almost revolve around each other yeah it's a venn diagram mm-hmm. that overlaps quite heavily um problem solving thinking outside of the box thinking without even being constrained by a box um (laughs) entrepreneurialism um you know being inventors you know there's a lot of really creative um nd folk um and that creativity might come out like florence from florence and the machine it might come out (laughs) like Billie eilish um or justin timberlake or (laughs) orlando blue (laughs) <laughs> or you know there, there's there, there's there's so much creativity out there that you know is there any real difference of creativity between an actor a musician an architect um an inventor of wonderful things like rockets and spaceships and hoovers i mean vacuum cleaners because hoover is a brand, a brand. <laughs> <laughs> other vacuum cleaners are available that's, that's, that's why it's such a powerful brand because people call it hoover even though it's not well you know but but there's a whole other conversation sarah about <laughs> the fact the, the fact that we use brand names to describe actions um yeah are you going to search for the answer no you're not you're going to google it <laughs> exactly or are you just going to hoover the floor yeah you're not going to vacuum the floor are you um yeah um 
that that's where we get driving our car. It's not an automobile. <laughs> um, anyway, so there's there's a whole a whole big mix in there. So so I, 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 the creativity is a really big one. Um, but sometimes emotional regulation or dysregulation can play in your favour. Yeah. When you're passionate about something, um, you might give your life to that passion. Mm. Um, and that means that you then end up with really vocal advocates who are really passionate about a cause. Mm-hmm. Uh, Greta's a prime example of that. Um, so there's two in creativity and all of the stuff that comes off of creativity. Um, there's passion, which comes with um, you know special interest or emotional regulation, depending on which <laughs> angle you may or may not want to look at that from. Mm. Um, a third. It's really hard when you try and distill traits down to the the, the bestest positive is this bit. <laughs> um, see. With that passion comes tenacity, mm. but sometimes that tenacity is fed from the deficit model rather than passion. So going back to that J.P. Morgan Chase research, are forty odd per- yeah are they forty odd percent more productive because they're making up for the fact that they're deficient yeah. in today's society? I said in inverted commas for listeners, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, or um are, are they are they actually better at the job that they've been given because they they found their niche you know they found their passion it could be a mixture um, of both it it it, it well l- l- like like neurodiversity it's yeah. very likely to be yeah. uh, you know we seldom do things um without fulfilling a need and sometimes that need for connection and non-rejection means that we do things that are sometimes unhealthy for us um yeah so um yeah it's very likely that you're going to ask somebody to do something and if they're passionate about it it's going to get done yeah Uh, and it's not going to be done in any way that you thought it was going to be because (laughs) they found a way to do it um and they're going to enjoy doing it while they do it there you go i think that's three (laughs) three there's one more keep into the positive. There's one more. What do you think people tend to um have a miss they misunderstand neurodiverse people or neurodivergence? There's a there's a ten, there's a tendency that people tend to have a a misconception about them. What do you think is the biggest misconception that well, is seen of neurodivergence, maybe for neurotypicals that are listening? So Going going back to that comment I made a little earlier, mm-hmm. that a lot of our sweeping generalizations are built on lived experience. Mm. Um, you know, a hundred years ago, if you were different, you were locked up. Yeah, you know that that that's why you know the Bethlehem Hospital, also known as Bedlam, um, existed mm. was for those people who were um, incapable of caring for themselves. Yeah. Um, and some of those people hurt others too. Um, and yeah, even today we institutionalize people um because society disables them. Yeah. Um now there is a small minority of the populace that need 
a high level of support in a manner similar to that. Um, but there are a big proportion of ND folk who can't engage fully with society because society doesn't let them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, since the Disability Discrimination Act and the Equality Act in 2010, mm-hmm. we've seen um, disabled toilets in public. We've seen buses with ramps. We've seen um, tube stations with lifts. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes when it comes to accommodating physical disability, it's potentially perceived to be easier because you can see what's wrong and see how that might be able to be fixed. Yeah. I don't want to use that language. See, please come to our webinar on language yeah. and neurodiversity. Yeah. Um, because you know, it's so easy to fall into the deficit model type language, the medical model yeah. of a deficit and fixing. And yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, even picking myself up on it is 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 effort. Um so so what I would say is be open to have no be be open to asking people what they're struggling with or what they might need to be better at what you or they want to be better at mm-hmm. uh, and be re- receptive to that answer um you know most of the time that they're going to ask you for something they're not going to ask frivolously for it because they're already fearful of asking um you know if somebody's struggling to eat their soup because all they have is a fork and they're used to being <laughs> slapped around the head every time they ask a question, then they're going to eat it with a fork because they don't want the punishment of asking for a spoon. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, sometimes um, people are just dealt a bad hand and ask them how they are and mean it. Um, you know, one of my old colleagues once asked me how I was and I said, I'm not feeling too great. And he said, oh, I'm okay, thanks. I was like, <laughs> you didn't even listened to my response <laughs> and assumed that because noise came out of my face, I was asking you how you were. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, I think there's a big call and need for authenticity. Um, yeah. That's another good shout of one of those positives. Um, yeah. If, if you want to, if you really want to know something, then talk to some ND folk because they're not going to BS you. Um, yeah. You know, yeah, they're, they're very, very straight talking <laughs> folk. Um, and sometimes you need to take it with uh, a pinch full of tact. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so, you know, b- biggest misconceptions is that we're broken and need fixing. Um, the fact is that many of us have been successful um, and, and we could continue to be um, if we had the right level of support around us. Um, you know, it, there's a whole other conversation and debate, Sarah, that I'm not going to get into as part of NCW, but later, maybe, <laughs> um, about the difference between um, equality of outcome or equity of outcome versus right. equal treatment versus right. support. So if you have individuals who are capable of different levels of output, mm-hmm then you can't get equality of outcome because not everyone's going to give you a hundred units of whatever the thing that you want. Okay. Maybe someone can make 120, maybe somebody can make 80, 
But if you're demanding 100 from everyone, then does that mean that you let people off easier if they're capable of more? Does that mean that you punish people if they can't get to their quota? Mm. Or do you change the benchmark depending on their ability? Um, and yeah, there's a whole conversation for me yeah. about um, accommodations and reasonable adjustments and behavioral standards or set another KPI here um, in that mix because there are P- there are folk out here <laughs> that are capable of being productive but might not be as productive as society wants or needs us to be um, and I think there's a big conversation there about how much effort we should go to supporting those people to have a purpose um, and, and and feel productive um, whilst in that mix. Um, Do you think that's just down to providing the right tools? Just like the example you use, like giving someone someone uh, giving someone a fork to to basically <laughs> soup. If you're not giving them the right tools, how can they truly be productive? And I know that's a very basic example, but I think yeah. it's well, the so, in that way. I, 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 I think the definition of uh, society and community is that we look after those who can't look after themselves Um, and undoubtedly there will be people in society who who can't do it for themselves Mm -hmm. um and and that's not to be ableist that's to say that you know with with all of the scientific research and physical capability we have as humans today there are some people that can't engage with the world like the rest of us now for those people who are on the scale between that and um you know an olympic athlete um then you know there there would definitely be benefits from accommodations or reasonable adjustments depending on which lens you wanted to look at it through to get the best out of people um you know teenagers tend to work better in the afternoon than they do the morning so there was some research done where a school basically ran from 11 till 6. So teenagers could sleep in <laughs> and then mm-hmm. go to school at lunchtime. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and that seemed to work quite well. Um, well, it, it, So yes, I absolutely think that there should be a conversation about supporting people with what they need to be their best selves. Um, but that won't work for everyone and there will still be people that we need to help um but i just realized that i didn't fully answer one of the questions earlier which was (laughs) what what guidance would you give to somebody about talking to their employer about their condition yeah um you have no obligation whatsoever to tell anyone anything okay so if you don't feel like they're going to be receptive to you you don't have to tell them um there's some employment tribunal um casework that came out in the last couple of years where uh, somebody was hired with a neurodifference mm-hmm. um and a couple of years into the role their performance was really struggling um they were then constructively dismissed um and it was found to be dis- disability discrimination, even though they hadn't disclosed their disability to the employer. Oh. So there is that 
be really careful about who you tell because the the stigma is still real um and if you're not in an organization that is going to take care of you be caring for you um then it might be more harmful than good um but you might get into an organization that is fully receptive to those differences fully prepared to support you with those differences or even an organization that is renowned for looking after people with those differences mm. um so um what i would say is th- think carefully because once you've said it it's quite hard to put it back in the box um but there's all kinds of uh, legal protections within the data protection act and the equality act um about disclosure of medical information so um you can choose who you tell you can tell the organization that they're not allowed to tell anybody else etc 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 um to um try to best control that um yeah it could just be as simple as you know as part of the recruitment process you directly contact the recruiting manager and say I've got some specific challenges as part of the recruitment process. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me to fully engage with the recruitment process, I'm going to need. Yeah. Um, and how they respond might tell you a lot. You know, if you'd like the questions in advance and they demand outright that they're never going to do that, maybe not an appropriate choice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe not the, the uh, right place to be. Absolutely. Um, and you know, I, I, I think the needle is moving um, in this space, um, and, and the more people that um, get behind uh, talking about the differences and the fact that some of the traits are strengths, um, then hopefully the, the needle will move more within organisations, um, and they'll become um, yeah, more inclusive. Do you feel we have a long way to go in terms of making? neurodiversity or be new inclusive more um accepted within society in general or do you think we're there yet in your well, opinion we are nowhere near there yet <laughs> um so 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 uh, one of the um two prongs so so a, a very quick conversation about neurodiversity my brain works like a cop like a spider's web and every mm-hmm. time that a thread touches is a little node mm-hmm. and because i've got so many threads and so many nodes mm-hmm. i connect conversations that really shouldn't be connected mm-hmm. um, so in this conversation i'm going to talk to you about the law of the spread of innovation mm-hmm. and i learned that from simon sinek who literally last week or the week before came out with his diagnosis of ADHD. <laughs> so, um, see, my, my brain and those connected nodes sometimes work. Um, so, um, when it comes to change, mm-hmm. you end up with what looks like a bell curve. Um, and you, essentially, you can then break that bell curve down into segments. Uh, and in reality, the tail end of the bell curve tends to go long and flat for a long while rather than it looking like the iq bell curve that's quite distinct so at the beginning you have the early adopters then you have the early majority then you have the late majority then you have the laggards so i think that we are 
on the precipice of early adopters and early majority. Okay. You know, I, I think that it's starting to become more widely known. Right. But until we get into the late majority, nothing's going to change, not on a societal level, because there just isn't enough people talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a hundred years ago, we had women's suffrage, and we had those early adopters doing crazy things to get their name in the paper so they could talk about the rights of women. Mm-hmm. And it took 20 years before we really saw women's rights move. And today's International Women's Day. I know. There go connections. <laughs> My brain's just full of interlaced conversation. <laughs> um, so, but then personally taking off my ncw hat Mm -hmm. sometimes society and governments put in place false targets um one of those since we're talking about women's suffrage um is the gender pay gap Mm -hmm. well the way the government report gender pay gap is what's the average earnings of men in your company and what's the average earnings of women in your company what's the difference between those two numbers Okay. Well, if I'm the only man working within an organization and I'm the cleaner, then the gender pay gap is going to be reversed because I'm going to be one of the lowest paid and all the directors of the company are going to be paid more than me. Mm. Okay. Um, So it's not necessarily a fair representation of the reality that some people work part time, some people uh, are earlier in their careers. Some people leave work for childcare purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, some people don't have families and work a hundred hours a week <laughs> to be the best they can be at that thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, I I think that it's a clumsy metric done for a good reason, but isn't as helpful as it could be. Mm. Um, and and they do the same with um, the ethnicity pay gap. Mm. Um, I personally, I'd be more worried about the ethnicity pay, gra- uh, pay gap than the gender pay gap. Mm. Uh, yeah, at least you can um, rationalise why there might be a difference between men and women's earnings. Your dangerous jobs pay more, and the more hours you work, the more you get paid. Okay, mm. well, how many female builders are there? How many female farmers are there? How many? Yeah, at least police officers, they're starting to move. But if you look at those roles that you're more likely to die at, there's far less women in them. Yeah. And that's women's choice. You know, men, men aren't stopping women doing those jobs. Um, and, you know, then when you have the conversation that, you know, black, indigenous or pe- and people of color yeah. earn 80% less than, but why? I, I think that's a far more challenging thing to investigate. Yeah. Um, but men and women is easy to argue because there's a 50-50 split. It's not. It's like 48 and 52. Mm-hmm. See, there's more women than there is men. Patriarchy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we got that bit wrong, didn't we? <laughs> um so yeah, I, I I think that there's a lot of employee activism going on at the minute, and a lot of really important stuff is being talked about. Mm. Um, and 
sometimes it's not what aboutism it's about understanding intersectionality um you know it isn't mm. black lives matter versus all lives matter it's all lives matter including black lives yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um you know as stormzy said um i'm it's not anti white it's pro black um so yeah um it, it, in the neurodiversity hidden disability neurodifference space um yeah we're not there yet um but then you could argue that we're not there yet on women's rights that we've been fighting for for 100 years um so yeah i i, I don't know how helpful it is to say what the yet is um yeah i i, I agree with you i feel there's a lot of intersectionality within neurodiversity race gender culture like all these things that you have to think about um I come from an African culture I come from a Christian background um if I told my late father I have dyslexia which I think he had dyslexia but he didn't want to ever admit it before he passed away um (laughs) it's something that doesn't exist you don't talk about it even if you do you're not working hard enough or it you know you should just pray to God that you don't have this anymore and not that I don't believe in prayer but I believe that we're made a certain way for a certain reason and those I found that through having dyslexia and ADHD it's helped me get past things that maybe other people haven't been able to get past it's I've had to be more determined I've had to have more um tenacity I have to uh, I'm less afraid than others and I think that's because of my neurodiversity um but a lot of the time the flip side to that I think is also that sense of feeling that I wish I had a different brain I wish I didn't think the way I did I wish things would just come naturally why do I have to overthink how to spell a very simple word you know um though that's the other side to it as well but then because of my tenacity and my determination I overcome those things by finding things to help me okay I can use the voice capacity on my phone if I can't spell something that that will make my life a lot easier so um yeah I I agree there's a long way to go but um it's it's how how we have those conversations and how we get I guess people in um institutions and ed- education system and I guess employers to not necessarily see neurodiversity as a negative thing and what a neurodivergent or neurodiverse person can bring to the workplace. Um, and again, with one neurodiverse condition, for example, autism, you could have people who are autistic from a global perspective who can't even talk, but what they write down is beautiful and amazing, for example. Or you might have an autistic person that you know, um, just doesn't know how to express themselves in the right way or they're too honest about stuff. My husband's autistic and the problem with his autism is he's too honest and it's good for me, but sometimes that gets you in a lot of trouble when people just think you're being rude and it's not, it's just well, how he comes across. So <laughs> I, 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 I'm a big fan of um, <laughs> quotes and and um, sayings that stand the test of time. So Jimmy Carr, the comedian, his, yeah. his um his book um chimes well with me um <laughs> the truth hurts yeah um yeah when was the last time that somebody told you something that was truly true that you were okay about <laughs> yeah well that's that's why it's a saying that's hundreds of years old mm. um no less sleep better 
ignorance is bliss. <laughs> See, they they all they all ring true in the end. Yeah. Um. So yeah, sometimes it isn't about um how brightly your light shines. Mm-hmm. It's how easy other people are dazzled. Mm. I like that. <laughs> I, I I was once told on a training course, Richard, your light shines brightly and often dazzles others. <laughs> um so um I was like, so do you want me to turn down my brightness or do they need to build some resilience? <laughs> Let's just say I don't work for that company anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. (laughs) Oh, Richard, it's been a pleasure having you on Divine Enigma. Uh, We've talked about so many things. I I feel like I've had like one of the most intelligent, most detailed conversation on neurodiversity. And I will be attending some of those workshops if I can get out of work to do so, but I definitely will be attending. (laughs) I'll probably go to the nine o'clock one um, because I have meetings tend to start later on so yeah well, we've got webinars at the weekend and uh, and the evening panel for parents and carers on mm-hmm. tuesday afternoon evening um so there is a couple outside of work hours um but but one of those questions could be to your manager hey you know that i'm neurodivergent this week's <laughs> neurodiversity celebration week maybe <laughs> you can give me an hour to go and watch this webinar or maybe you should watch it with me. <laughs> so yeah, we, we we we've had a load of requests of people organising watch parties, you know, booking a conference room and streaming it with twenty odd people listening to it. We've had schools saying we're going to put it on during assembly. Um, so yeah, um, lots and lots and lots of weird and wonderful um, ways of getting involved. And how can we get all your details? So um, I'll put them in the show notes after the show as well. Um, so, so, so the short answer is neurodiversity. Uh, so it's neurodiversityweek.com. Okay. Um, and that's everything. Um, but we're at NC Week on Twitter. We're Neurodiversity Celebration Week on LinkedIn. And I think we're Neurodiversity Week on Instagram. Okay. So that's a, okay. So that's all the details. So I'll put all the details in the show notes. Have you got any last or final things to say in regards to Neurodiversity Week um, or Celebration Week, I should say, or anything positive about neurodiversity that people should know about? Um, so very quickly, um, get involved and share your stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, write a post on LinkedIn about your traumatic childhood as an India and give us a tag. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, make a TikTok video and share it via Twitter and give us a tag. Um, you know, our, our, our mission with Celebration Week is to spread the word on neurodiversity. Um, and it's quite hard to do when we only put out content. A lot of the work that we do during Celebration Week is sharing your content. So you need to make some for us to share. Um, so you know, we've got um, you know, in Hull, they're doing an art competition. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, there, there's a neurodiverse theater putting on a production this weekend. Um, you know, lots and lots and lots of really cool stuff across the country and the world. Um, you know, we've got people from New Zealand and Australia, Hong Kong, South Africa, all of Europe, North America, Canada getting involved. Um yeah, Bolivia, Peru, I saw on the <laughs> list yesterday as I was filtering it for our total numbers. Um, so, yeah, it would be nice for us to get to fifteen or 20,000 pledges this year. Yeah. We're just shy of 11 now. Um, and, yeah, 
we're putting on 24 events, it'd be nice to get thousands of people interacting with those events. Um, and yeah, our, our mission is to like, comment and reshare anything that we're tagged in. So, um, you know, go for a walk, talk to your kids, um, make a poster, put on your own event, um, share it on socials and give us a tag. Thank you so much, Richard. Thank you so much for your time. No worries. Thanks very much. I want to let our audience members know about the six-week coaching program that I will be offering for people who are neurodivergent, who want to improve their career prospects in general, and all those who want to get into project management. I've mentioned this in earlier episodes, but I want to make the time to offer it up again for those looking for help in those areas of their life. It's a great way to learn a new skill to help advance yourself within your career or even your business. I'm offering it um, support, particularly to people who want to pass the Prince 2 practitioner exam, as I've taken the exam (laughs) And I've failed it a few times, but I've passed quite well now. And um, I want to help others uh, to show them how they can pass the Prince 2 Practitioner exam. Um, if this sounds interesting to you or you'd like to learn more, please reach out to me directly after um, this podcast. Um, all of my information will be in the show no- notes. Um, I'm still working on my website, but, you know, all my information will be on the show notes so um check them out and um yeah contact me about the program i'm always happy to help and if i'm not able to help i can always direct you to um someone within my network that can help you so please follow me on all platforms where you listen to podcasts Thank you for listening to Divine Enigma. And if you got to the end of this show, this is a safe place for project managers and professionals to give you the tools and tips on how to navigate the complexity of being neurodiverse in the workplace. I'll see you soon.